Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 1st, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 91 and we are in the third full paragraph. Today's readers are Rick, Paula, and Du. The reference number for Monday, December 31st, is 3596. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Hoodie to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm pitch-hitting for Hoodie this morning, a compulsive overeater recovered. Thank you. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thanks, Melanie. I will now ask Patricia to read the 12 traditions, please. This is Patricia. Can you hear me? I can, Patricia. Go ahead. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, our group purpose, for, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, 
a loving God as he may express himself in our good conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA, I mean, or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, our OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend our OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus money or property less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our services may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, OA, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you. Thanks, Patricia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, please let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 91 and we're on the third paragraph. I will ask Rick to begin reading, please. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. See a man alone, if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. 
Well, they're, the authors are asking, uh, you know, sponsors to get into a conversation with the newcomer and get to know the, the person, get to know what his drinking was like and, uh, you know, tell him some of your, your drinking uh, stories and, you know, let him know that you're also an alcoholic just like him. And I think even though this was written in 1939 and people they were approaching didn't, were not uh, familiar with 12-step programs, were not familiar with AA, um, it's, a, it's, very, it's a little different than it is with OA. Most of the people we meet in OA are very familiar. They've been around. They've been uh, around the block many times. But the instructions are still appropriate. You've got to get to know the person you're talking to. You've got to uh, find out a little bit about their eating history. You've got to find out a little bit about how long they've been around. And it'll give you an idea of what their situation is like. Also, too, by telling them what happened to you and letting them know your story, um, that kind of asks for a little bit of quiet. Ask for some quiet from that newcomer or that that new sponsee, and let you do some talking about your eating history, rather than have them jump right into things. I find quite often in OA, people are so familiar with the program they've been around, they they want to ask that big question right away: How do I get abstinent? And sometimes that's not able to you're not able to answer that right away. You got to know a little bit about what the person's doing. They got to know a little bit about what you're doing, and then you can proceed with the conversation. Uh, we can't always answer that big question right away without knowing who we're dealing with, and um, so that's the way I see this paragraph relating to us as compulsive overeaters. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Judy, Judy, go ahead. Hi, thank you, Christy. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Judy, a recovered compulsive overeater. What I see in this paragraph is um, really focusing on the other person, and, and it's not about my ego, about what I want to talk about um, to make me feel better. It's really about how can I be of maximum service to this newcomer. And the first thing is to help him to see where I'm coming from so that he or she can identify in. And it's all about, you know, helping the newcomer identify in, not comparing out, um, which is what I did when I first came around is finding how I don't... um, how I'm not a compulsive overeater and looking for any way out. So um, it's giving really clear directions on how to do this, you know, focusing on my experience um, because really when I was at a point of being open-minded, it was I was listening to another compulsive overeater like me and then how that they were brought out of the misery of this disease. And I had to identify in to know that maybe I can um, have recovery like they do. And that's what it's all about is helping them see where I'm coming from so that um, this person 
can um, have some hope that wow, he does what I she does what I do, and now she's not doing that. And it's it's very simple about that, and it's really keying in on the other person. Um, you know, if he's not communicative, then give him a stretch of my drinking career um, to the time I quit. And um, but not going like not giving it all in one. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a process and not, you know, giving the whole shebang because I need to get this person to a place where they identify in and that they're, they see the misery of this illness. Otherwise, um, for me, I wasn't, unless I hit a bottom and really saw how, how what a tough job, you know, a tough place I was at. I was, at, I was so powerless and, and seeing that. The other thing is, you know, I, I don't moralize or lecture. I share my experience, and um, but always checking in with that person. So my focus is on that person, um, not on what that I'm doing this for me. It's really, I mean, yes, I do service to enhance my own program, but I'm focused on helping the other person. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Uh, Janice, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Okay, see your man alone if possible. You know, it, I think this is a, this is a great way to start out this paragraph and and a reminder that sometimes a little one-on-one, -on -one, you know, where the family's not hovering around, where they're not doctors, um, if he's hospitalized, you know, where, where you have time to just be one alcoholic to another alcoholic. Because we already know through our own experience that that's going to be a great place to start the identification. It's just you and the other guy, you and the other person, you and another compulsive overeater who perhaps has the same illness that you do, perhaps has the same illness that you do. And, and what's going to set the stage, lay the foundation, is going to be this conversation. It's going to be this conversation. You know, and it's, and, and it's going to give this other person and remind me of my own powerlessness. It's going to remind me of the doctor's opinion. It's going to remind me of the obsession of the mind. Because that's really what we're setting the stage for here without actually talking about those things. You know, tell him enough about your drinking habits, your, your symptoms, and your experiences. You know, start to talk about that piece of it for yourself and encourage him to speak of himself. You know, because no one, no one can, can decide for me whether I am a compulsive overeater. I must diagnose myself. I must diagnose myself. But I don't know who I am and what I'm up against yet until I'm having this conversation, perhaps, with someone who's recovered. So they're going to start out by telling me a lot about themselves. But if he's not communicative, if he doesn't feel like talking, then you can do some more telling of your own story. And doesn't it always benefit, it always benefits me to tell my story, to remind myself of who I am, what I'm up against, and how far, I've, how very far I've come 
and the solution that I found. So everybody's going to benefit here, I think, by by this exercise. And if he's in a serious mood, you can dwell on the troubles that you have experienced as a result of it. Because he might be also in that place where he's thinking about all the stuff that's happened as a result. But if he's feeling upbeat, and, and sometimes some of the funniest conversations can happen as we share things that seem so outrageous and so stupid and so unbelievable that's happened as a result. You know, I've got a few stories that I can pull out that, that have their humorous side as well. And I think that's where the connection begins to happen. And that's where I hope someone else can say, oh, I'm, yeah, she's like me. I've, I've had those same kinds of experiences. The details might not match up exactly. But the underlying foundation, setting the stage, that's, that's starting to be the same. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. Happy New Year. My name is Kim. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. What great teaching, what great instructions. You know, this is working with others. This doesn't even mean specifically sponsoring. How do we approach the newcomer? How do we talk to someone who's walking in the room? You know, in every problem-solving process, there's three things. One, you have to know the problem. Two, you have to know the solution. And three, you have to know the plan of action. So on this first visit, what you're trying to do is try to determine, does this person have the problem? Because if they don't have the problem, why do they care about the solution? Why would they care about the plan of action? So it says, but say nothing for the moment of how You've quit drinking, how it was accomplished. So we're going to concentrate now on the problem. You know, and, I, and his, this, these instructions have totally changed how I've given newcomer meetings. Because a lot of our newcomer meetings in my area, we tell them about step four and five, and we tell them about having to make amends, and we tell them about connecting with this higher power, and we tell them about these tools that we have to do. And it's overwhelming. And it's frightening. They came in like, I just want to diet. I just need to lose weight. And the fact is, if you are not a compulsive overeater, diets work. Calories in equals calories out. You'll lose the weight and go on with your life. But that is not my problem. My problem is I have an allergy of the body that once I ingest certain substances, I have to eat more and more. I am less satiated at the 100th bite than I am at the first bite. But my bigger problem is I have an obsession of the mind that tells me to keep going back. So no matter how long I'm abstinent, I am tortured by that mind that is saying, come on, it's been 30 days, it's been three months. It'll help take the edge off. It'll help you celebrate more. It'll make you feel better. So if I don't have this problem, if this newcomer doesn't have this problem, the rest of it is incidental. So what we're going to do is give them a sketch of our drinking career, see if they can identify in, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. And one of the gifts of this program, one of the promises that I experienced with Step 9 is no matter how far down the scale we have gone, 
we will see how our experience can benefit others. And one of the gifts I have is I have been obese. I have been a size 24. I know what it's like to be in my 20s and walk up a a flight of stairs and not be able to catch my breath. I've been on the other end. I've been a size 2 where I've been so underweight my period has stopped. I've been bulimic. I've I've been exercising to the point that I pass out and get up again because I have to earn that next binge or 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 work off that next binge. So we talk to that person, we see where they're at, and we match them story for story. Because until they know they have this problem, there's no reason to proceed. So when we work with others, these are specific instructions of how we can find out if this person is a compulsive overeater. They have to be convinced themselves, but if they're not a compulsive overeater, if they need a diet, and that will get them. That will get them back to lose the weight. They they can go to conventional diet program. So what are we going to do? We're going to give them a sketch of our drinking career up to the time we quit. Up to the time we quit, we're not going to tell them about the solution. We're not going to tell them about the plan of action. For right now, we say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. What beautiful, beautiful instructions of how to work with the person who's just coming in. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Good morning, it's Leah. Leah, go ahead. Hey, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. I mean, my book tells me that I am properly armed with facts about myself myself and with those facts with that dark past of mine which happens to be the greatest possession that i have uh i'm going to be able to win the entire confidence of another compulsive overeater not through any um dazzling of the intellect not through any uh self-knowledge that i might be able to articulate um i'm gonna i'm gonna be able to win that confidence because i i was in that quicksand too because I also cried tears that were so hot you could feel them drip down your cheeks. I was there. I was there. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. This is a relationship. I'm dealing with a life, a human being. This takes skill and technique. I'm not trying to, uh, this is not a sales job. I'm not trying to increase my quota by having uh, somebody buy my package. This is uh, throwing out the bait and slowly, slowly reeling it in. This is, I call it fishing. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm throwing out the bait to see <clears throat> if they want to take a bite, you know, because I'm building a bridge. That's all I'm doing here is building a bridge through sharing my own experience, through letting them know I was in that quicksand through offering some of my drinking habits, some of my symptoms, some of my experiences, to allow them to feel comfortable enough to start revealing their pain. You know, compulsive overeaters are great at stuffing the pain and building up layer after layer after layer of denial. But inside, if I can touch a cord, if we can touch a cord, if that recovered compulsive overeater can touch a cord and somehow chip away at that wall of defense mechanism that compulsive overeaters are so good at building up and allow some of the pain to begin 
to be expressed. And once we tap into that, then we slowly, slowly allow them to emerge from that darkness and to share some of their pain. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how it ought to proceed. Once that, once that suffering compulsive overeater starts to share a little bit about her eating habits and her symptoms and her experiences, then I have a whole treasure chest of my own personal experiences in my career of compulsive overeating that I can pull out and let her know that she is not the only one that is traveling uh, in the darkness, that I was in that darkness too. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, I'm Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And what this paragraph reminds me of is to meet people where they are. You know, meet people where they are. Where are they in their addiction? And for those of us who have the luxury of, you know, face-to-face -face meetings like I do, you know, I've seen people come in many times. I've seen people walk in the rooms, you know, 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, which is my home meeting, and, you know, with tears streaming down their face, tears streaming down their face. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know if they're ready to stop. I don't know whether they have a desire to stop eating compulsively. I have no idea. Um, when, when they walk in the room, you know, and, and hear the laughter in the room, you know, such as we do on, you know, in my home group, um, <laughs> that's not necessarily where they are when they walk in. That's not where I was when I walked in the room. That is not where I was when I walked in the room. I was on the verge of death. I was on the verge of, not, you know, I didn't want to live anymore. I couldn't live one more day in in the crazy craziness of my brain. I could not live one more day like that. And, you know, the people who greeted me at that meeting didn't know that about me. They had no idea. You know, if I walk in the room and, you know, see people who are, you know, at a maintenance weight and happy, joyous, and free, um, I may or may not want that. I, I know for me, I, I had no idea how they got that way, but I didn't want to live the way I'd been living anymore. Not one more minute, not one more minute like that. And, you know, when people walk in and, you know, maybe, you know, they see what I look like today, I'm, I'm at a maintenance weight, I've been maintaining my weight for, you know, almost 10 years. And, um, you know, I've got a lightness in my eyes and a lightness in my spirit. And I'm not going to walk up to them and say, by the way, you're going to have to make a list of all the people you've harmed and be willing to make amends to them all. You know, I'm, I'm going to walk up to them and I'm going to say, this is, this is what I was like when I walked in the room. Not like the person you see today, but someone who was desperate, someone who was at the, at the end of their rope, someone who hopefully was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, um, you know, what I found in this meeting when I walked into it was hope. You know, that's how I can talk to people. And I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, the beauty of how this program has worked for me is that I'm saving my life by telling other people how, how my life was saved. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just so grateful that I have that opportunity. And, you know, whether the other person recovers or not, I've recovered. You know, I've recovered. And um, with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph before we move on? 
Let's move on to the next paragraph. Paula, would you please read for us? This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were when you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. You know, it begins here when he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. You know, the paragraph before, we turned around and gave him a sketch. Well, now we're filling in the sketch. We know what a sketch is, kind of like an outline. But now we're describing. So now we're filling in the details. Describe yourself as an alcoholic. Even more, listen, tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. See, it didn't tell him about what your recovery here. He wouldn't understand. He couldn't meet you there. So you meet him where he's at, as it was so stated. How baffled. Like, how could this happen? I'm never doing this again, and here I am again. He'll understand. And then it says, give him an account. For those that are accountants, which I am not, by the way, that's pretty detailed, isn't it? Account of the struggles you made to stop. How many ways, how many days. Then show him the mental twist. I'm going over each line because that's what you need to do. The mental twist. Well, I'm not going that way. This is a straight path. Yep. Mm-hmm. How the heck did I end up here then? That twist, the road that I was on, the road that I was determined to stay on. I'm not on it anymore. Sobriety, abstinence eludes me yet again. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. Now, these are suggestions, honey. You follow. You follow. But that last line, and I know so many will want to share on this, he will understand you at once. Oh, to come together, not in shame, not in fear, not on stepping on toes, not in condemnation, not in any of those things. Isn't that, that what it says? Be careful not to moralize a lecture. Haven't we heard enough of them? And then it ends. He will match. Oh, again, again, he will match. Oh, what glory there is in that. Yes, I've done that too. I've gone that way too. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. (laughs) Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Okay, here we are. Here we are. We're going to share even more information about myself. Uh, what it used to be like, what and and what happened to me, you know. What it used to be like, and what happened to me, you know. What happened to me is I began to learn these things about myself. You know, I began to learn these things about myself, and now I can share those things. I learned that I was sick. 
I learned that I was sick, that I had an illness. I learned through all these struggles that I made to stop that I was powerless. I learned that I was powerless. And I learned about the mental obsession. I learned that I had all of these mental twists in this mental obsession that always led me back to the first drink. So I'm going to be able to share with somebody that I got abstinent sometimes, that I got abstinent, that I put down the food. But then I was abstinent all the time. I was abstinent all the time. And those were my struggles, my struggles to stop when I was abstinent, not when I was drinking, not after I picked up that first bite when there was no going back, but before I picked up that first bite. And so I'm going to begin to describe to him about all of those struggles to stop, that even when the food was down, even when I was not eating those foods that definitely always led to a binge and to a physical craving beyond my control, that it was in that place of abstinence, it was in that place of not compulsively overeating that I also was truly powerless. So I'm going to start to describe and show those mental twists that I had the mind of a chronic alcoholic, that I had the mind of a compulsive overeater that ensured in that mental obsession that I would pick up again. You know, we we suggest you do this as we have done it on the chapter on alcoholism because it is described beautifully. It is described beautifully that that mental twist that I had was always going to lead me back to picking up. You know, and it says if he is an alcoholic, he will understand you at once. You know, I remember thinking to myself, uh-oh, uh-oh, the gig is up. The gig is up. She gets it. She gets it. And I began to identify, identify that mental obsession. Identify that I, too, had those mental inconsistencies that I may have been in control in other areas of my life, I thought, that I may still be holding down a job, that I still may have my house, that I still may be driving a car. I haven't lost everything yet, but oh my God, I'm crazy in my head because I cannot stop and stay stopped. And I've tried it hundreds of times. You know, so so here, this the mental twist, oh, how important that I understand that, that I be shown that, and that now I can begin to describe that to somebody else. How it looked to me, how I thought about things, how crazy I was in my head. And if the person is like me, they may begin to see themselves as a compulsive overeater of my type. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? It's Leah. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. My book describes my disease as cunning, baffling, and powerful. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. You know... (laughs) 
perhaps this uh, suffering compulsive overeater, you know, has has um, has heard some frosty emotional appeal, just like I did. You know, the doctors told me to stop. My parents told me to stop. My therapist told me to stop. My friends told me to stop. My husband told me to stop. You know, <laughs> don't eat. Don't eat, the doctor said. Don't eat, my parents said. Just don't eat, my friends said. Just don't eat, my husband said. You know, don't eat is not a newsflash for people like me. Don't eat is not a newsflash for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater. I've stopped thousands of times. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. I, I've stopped thousands of times. You want to hear my list of remedies and methods? I certainly will convey that to that still-suffering compulsive overeater. I've stopped thousands of times. How do you stay stopped? How do you stay stopped? Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of the spree. How do you stay stopped? How do I live as Leia and not have to binge my brains over it to stand it? How do I do that? You know, most of us are very, very familiar with diets and remedies and, uh, and methods. You know, there's lists and lists of them. What I'm trying to convey to this still-suffering compulsive overeater is the baffling nature that even though I did eliminate those binge foods, even though I did quit, swore up and down, gave it my New Year's resolution year after year after year, it was going to be Monday, it was going to be next week, it was going to be next month, It was going to be this year, even though I swore, even though the tears streamed down my face as I got into bed and I wiped the crumbs off my pillow and I said, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. I can't eat like that again and I can't binge my brains out like that again. I can't purge like that again. I can't see the blood in the toilet again. I won't do this again. I won't do this again. And come the next day or the next week or a couple weeks later, I'm back at it. How do you stay stopped? How do you stay stopped? That's the whole question. Elimination? (laughs) We have a whole billion-dollar industry that talks about elimination. My disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. I need something that's going to match that. But first, I have to understand the greater aspect of my disease, and this is what I'm slowly going to pull out for this person, is that mental twist. That mental twist. Don't eat, Leah. Heard that millions of times. How do you stay stopped? That's the big ticket item. That's, that's what a person has to understand. That insanity. Slowly reeling them in. Reeling them in. Throwing out the bait. Slowly reeling them in. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? You can press star one to unmute your phone. It's Monica. Monica, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And when he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. And like everyone has been saying, you know, we're talking about how crazy we are with this disease 
and the mental obsession part that's the big the big issue here and how do we get around that but i feel tell him how baffled you were and i think this is again what we're reading about here is working with others and how important this identification 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 is to get them to identify with that they have a <clears throat> a problem here and we're giving them some information and i you know i took it as some hope to learn that i had a disease that i wasn't just a mental case that there was um, a disease aspect here with two parts, the physical part, the physical allergy, and the mental obsession. And that somebody else had this same problem. And this, and this person, the sponsor, or this recovered person talking to you is, is proof before your eyes that there is a way out of here. And I think, you know, that's important, too, that they can identify and they can see that there is, you know, there's some hope, there's a way out. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Hello, my name is Betty Ann. Betty Ann, go ahead. Um, thank you. Hello, good morning, happy new year, vision for you. I'm very happy you're here. Um, what I would... What I would try to uh, get this person to understand is that, <clears throat> see, I have no internal boundaries when it comes to food. I mean, something like um, jaywalking, which you, we read in the book, um, I do. All I'd have to do is think of the consequences of doing that, and I would be able to stop myself. But with food, specifically, mostly if I was talking to someone who's a food addict, sugar, carbs, all that, I would, I would try to help them understand and I would t that I have no internal boundaries. And I could get diabetes. I could get a heart attack, God forbid. I could get sick. I could have open-heart surgery. I could have anything happen to me any kind of medication, any warning from any doctor, anything, and I would have no internal boundaries at all. I would be okay for a while and then I'd go back to doing What I have to do, and what I would try and help that other person, I think the cornerstone of this program for me is spiritual. I am powerless over my addiction. It means I'm an addict. If I can't stop, I'm an addict. What I have to do from that moment, that nanosecond, where I get a food thought, or I'm upset about something, I literally have to get on my knees and ask God for help. Because if I don't put that, that food thought or that upsetting situation, it's an upsetting situation, then it's a food thought. If I don't put God between the food thought and the pickup time, I'm picking up. So there's no human being or nothing that can help me. No therapy, no nothing. I've been down that road. I've been telling them. I've been down that road, uh, therapy and diets and blah, 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 blah. And a million nutritional blah, 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 blah. There's one thing that would help me, and that's the program has given me, what I would say to them is that nanosecond between the irritating situation, the food thought, then the nanosecond, what are you doing? God, 
I need your help. And you get on your knees and you ask God for help. And I heard somewhere somebody said, if you have trouble getting on your knees, put throw your glasses under the bed and then you gotta get on your knees to get your glasses. So the thing is it's it's the spiritual. And no human being, no human power, no nothing can help me when I want to pick up. So there has to be God in between. And um, that's what I would, um, I think the spiritual is the cornerstone in addition to the tools and everything else. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Betty Ann. One, Christine, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And... uh, you know, at work, you know, it seems like every week the department has a sheet cake, actually half a sheet cake, um, for someone's celebration, you know, for some kind of celebration. And so, you know, I've worked in the department for a number of years now, and um, people will, you know, some people will still offer me, the, you know, a little slice of cake to celebrate. And um, I pass I pass it up. You know, I pass it up. And... Um, you know, people will say, wow, you have such willpower. You have such willpower, Christy. And uh, what I say when they say that is, actually, I don't. I don't have any willpower. If, if, I, if I took one bite of that, if I took one bite of that very small piece of cake, and it is very small, by the way, I'd be complaining immediately that we didn't order a full sheet cake instead of a half sheet cake. You know, because that's the way my addiction works. And I don't necessarily launch into a diatribe about, you know, my eating disorder and, you know, the struggles I've had. But what I've done is perhaps plant a seed. You know, by telling someone, I, you know, I, I, I can't eat that. There's not enough sheet cake in the world for someone like me because I can't eat sugar. I just can't. I can't eat it. I can't have a small slice. I can't have a small bite. You know, it goes against the grain of, you know, what a lot of well-intentioned nutritionists will tell people. Well, you've got you've to have a little bit. You know, you can't not have this food or then you'll find yourself eating it out of control. And that's the kind of mentality that I clung to for a very long period of time until I realized that I couldn't have even so much as one bite. Not one bite of, of certain foods. I could not have so, as much as one bite of certain foods. For me, you know, I've identified those foods as sugar, fat, flour. I can't have large quantities of any food or it triggers an obsession for me to want more. You know, do I go into all of that? No, I just say no thank you. You know, if I, you know, if I start eating that, I, I won't stop. And that's the truth. That is my truth. I have no willpower. I have no defense against that first bite, none whatsoever. You know, if people want to know more, if people want to know more, I'm available. Maybe I've, you know, scattered a few seeds around, um, you know, to those people who on January 1st of 2013 have, you know, tried to once again, you know, apply some sort of New Year's resolution, and I haven't had to do that. You know, I haven't had to do that for, you know, over a decade. I haven't had to wake up on January 1st of any year, you know, for the past few years and said, you know, I'm going to lose 170 pounds by February of this year. You know, I don't don't have to do that anymore. And, um, you know, I'm I'm just so grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph before we move to the next one? Uh, Yes, this is Amy. 
Uh, I'm sorry, was that Penny? Amy. Oh, Amy, I'm sorry. Hey, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. As many have said, we are addressing here the mental obsession, the greater aspect of our disease. And I was always taught when sharing my story, I always share what led me to the first bite and what happened after the first bite, addressing both issues, the mental obsession and the physical allergy. But when it comes to the physical allergy, I mean, we have these slogans in OA, you know, this is the disease that wants to get up in your head, isolate you and kill you. You know, you can't fight your disease with your own disease. You can't fight your mind with your mind. I mean, the reason why we have these slogans is that those of us who are in OA, we understand, those of us who are recovered, we understand the greater aspect of this disease being what leads us to the first bite. What is the insanity that takes place against all reason, against all reason and consequences to that first bite? And I make sure that when I'm sharing my story that I address those really crazy binges, what I call my blackout binges, where I'm five bites into a binge going, how the heck did I get here? I'm standing in front of the refrigerator with pictures about dieting and pictures about skinny people all tattooed all over and sticky, sticky pads all over the refrigerator. And I'm eating the food going, how did I get here? Against all of my will, what happened? to address that craziness, that insanity. And then after that, how did I feel after the binge? The four terrible horsemen that it talks about in the vision for you, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. What happened? What happened? So I make sure that I explain those binges all the way through so that they not only get a chance to relate, they get a chance to say, "Uh uh-huh, maybe I'm this powerless too. Maybe truly I am that what I think is the issue here, not so much about the allergy because I know I'm off to the races what I start, once I start, but what is it in between my two ears? And that is the mental obsession. You know, it talks about it at the end of step one, but at that point, maybe when they hear us, they'll be ready to go to any length to lift this merciless obsession that is killing us against all reason, health, all reason, that is leading us there to that first bite. What takes us there? And that I make sure that I cover that mental twist. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Judy F. Uh, Judy F., go ahead, and then we'll catch the next person. Thank you, Christy. So it, it um, references the chapter about alcoholism. And if we go back to more about alcoholism, um, we learn about Fred and Jim and the Jaywalker, and um, real uh, truths come out out of this. Um, for instance, on page 37, in some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. And boy, did I always have an excuse to pick up. And telling me that newcomer about, um, like everyone's been saying, the, the mental twist, but really explaining what that looked like in my in my disease. Um, how you know I'd be fine for a while, and then I could just just I'll just have one, or I needed some energy to get through the difficult sales call, so I'll I'll have I'll pick up just have one to get me through it. Um, and then you know the crux of the problem in our mind. And um, on page 39, but the actual potential alcoholic with hardly an exception 
will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. So this isn't about us teaching them um, about the disease and then they go, okay, now I know about the disease and I can go off. We know this is a spiritual solution, but we have to get to that point where once again they identify in with the mental twist. And it helps when I talk to a newcomer really um, painting a picture on what that looked like, just like it in the more about alcoholism chapter, we really see what happened in each person's mind to get them back into that behavior, compulsive behavior again. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning again, Christy. Show him the mental twist, which leads to the first drink of a spree. You know, and this book was published in 1939. And, and in the 1930s, there was something popular called temperance societies. And temperance means moderation. Because they believed the problem wasn't that these people got drunk. I mean, the problem wasn't that people drank. The problem was they got drunk. So it wasn't the first drink that was the problem. It was that we had to teach these people how to drink moderately. Let's have a temperance society. You know, and that's what I wanted when I came into L.A. I didn't want to give up my food. Teach me to eat moderately. Teach me how to three, eat three Oreos and be satisfied. That's what I wanted you to teach me. You know, and unfortunately, I know two fellows in our, in our fellowship that in the last six months have once gone to an inpatient treatment center, one to an outpatient, and that's what they're still trying to teach. You know, one had a, had a dessert night twice a week. The other one was instructed to have one serving of their favorite food and learn how to enjoy that one serving. You know, so we had to understand, you know, when I came in, I, I don't know if I was taught it and didn't want to hear it or I just wasn't taught it, but it was the first drink that was going to take me to that allergy of the body that I had to recognize. I had to fully concede that I am allergic to these foods. I cannot have them. But that's not my biggest problem. But it was the mental twist that kept telling me the allergy will not happen. This will be the exception. This time will be different. So I had to recognize that abstinence was not the end of this journey. It was the beginning. It was putting the food down that was going to give me the clarity to address the larger aspect of my disease that I could not join a temperance society, that I could not moderate my eating. The problem wasn't the 16th Oreo. The problem wasn't the third donut. The problem was I took that first bite. And the only way that I was going to live a life where I was going to be free from the mental twist of wanting that first bite was to go through these steps. And that is the miracle of this program today. The miracle of this program is today isn't that I don't have to eat. The miracle of this program is I don't want to eat. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Do, will you please read a vision for you? Sure. Um, 
Good morning, everyone. My name is Stu, and I'm a compulsive overeater. It says, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. With that, I pass.